You're listening to On Mission with Dr. Matt Davis, a podcast designed to explore the personal mission of everyday leaders. Hear from men and women who are making a difference in their corner of the world and discover what keeps them on mission. Welcome to On Mission with Dr. Matt Davis. I'm Jonathan Sheely. Our guest today is Jared Chesley. Jared is the facilities manager at Maranatha Baptist University. Jared and his wife, Jody have four children ranging in age from 9 to 15. His favorite meal is a ribeye steak, garlic mashed potatoes, and asparagus. He enjoys hiking, scuba diving, and spending time with his kids. He likes sports, but does not have a favorite team. Too many have let him down. <laughs> Jared, welcome to the podcast. We count that. That's a Cubs fan. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you should know. I, I, I felt bad putting that because I was like, you know. We'll claim you. Yeah, Cubs fans are going to give me a hard time about that. Of course. So, Jody... Josiah, Jalen, Judah, Jacob. Yes. Those Jared. Yep. Okay. So you, you guys were just destined for J's. Yeah. Once my wife and I got married, we both had J's. And so then we named our first kid and it was Josiah was the name we stuck with. It wasn't really on purpose. Do you have then, any backups? Well, once just we, in case. Once we got to our second <laughs> kid, then we couldn't change. No, you're locked in. Yeah, we were. Yeah. Fred, so, you know, you can't, what yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> we, My wife joked that they would always be accused of being adopted if we ever changed. You know, and so we were like, we can't, I don't know. Well, okay. Yeah. Uh, that It's cute, you know. I don't know whether to give you credit for that or, or Jody, but all the J's from the Chesley family. So, yeah, you have uh, good good favorites here. Ribeye steak I totally mm-hmm. get with. Garlic mashed potatoes, I can go for that. Asparagus, though. No. See, what, see, what, how does that come in? Is it like a garnish? Is that what you meant? You have to. They're exp- easier to scrape off the plate without leaving much residue. My meal is very different than what you're thinking. Oh. My meal is the cow that we raised in our backyard and butchered locally, and the ribeye that is grass fed and succulent and amazing, and you don't even need to use a knife to cut it. And the potatoes are from our garden that our kids helped us grow, and they're made from the garlic that came from our garden. And our asparagus is fresh cut from outside with a little bit of grilling on the grill next to the the uh, steak before you bring what it. What time in. do you want me to be over? Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> let's go. Yeah. It's All a right. lot. It's a lot of hard work, but when you do that hard work, you can enjoy it so much more. So, well, that that maybe puts it a little bit in perspective. <laughs> All right, I'll go for that. You have you really been scuba diving? Yeah, I was. Uh, I started scuba diving. You have diving. to get certified for that, yeah. right? Like I couldn't just slap a tank on and go. Well, you water. could, but I won't guarantee the result. <laughs> <laughs> when I was twelve years old, it was just interests me. I loved science and exploring, and so I started scuba diving and I uh, had a paper route and I earned money and I got all my own equipment and uh, I got certification. I actually was a master diver by the time I was fifteen, and uh, had uh, over a hundred dives. And it was something that uh, I enjoyed doing with my dad. Before he passed away, so wow, that is uh, that is an interesting hobby. I've not known a whole lot of people that young that have gotten into that. Where did you grow up? To where you would be going scuba diving? Uh, northern Indiana, um, Northern Indiana, like the coasts of Indiana. <laughs> yeah. <I> mean, what, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Tropical no, just, reef. Uh, uh, there is Indiana Beach. I've no, been that's there. True. Yeah, there's more than corn in Indiana. Uh, a lot of lakes. <laughs> and then if you know of Indiana, Indiana has Indiana limestone. The quarries, the old quarries would yeah, fill with water, so yeah. we'd go there. And I some like of those it. are deep. They are. They. Yeah. That's where I did my deep water certification for my master. We went down 95 feet in a quarry. Whoa, it was dark wow. and cold. Mm. And we had to watch out for the uh, paddlefish because they were bigger than a human. And they were in these quarries. And yeah. it was really weird. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Those well, are that's crazy. That's kind of creepy. Yeah. 
All right. Well, Jonathan's going to hit you with a deep question now that we've gotten all the important things off the ta- off the table. We want to know what your personal mission is. You know, that's I was thinking about that earlier because I knew this was on mission podcast and I had to have a mission, and I hadn't really put it. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, you don't have to create one just for the podcast. We invited you because you obviously have one. All right? right, but but how you articulate it or think right. of it? Maybe. That's what I was trying. I was trying to how do I put you know articulate it? And um, for me, it was it was kind of a process in my life of um, what God did in my life that helped me realize that unless I'm living my life for Him then it's not going to be productive. Um, I experienced uh, some different things in my life with uh, my dad dying at a young age at 15, and hmm. I had to overcome that and figure out what, how to deal with that. Um, I struggled with that for a while, but the Lord... Do you have siblings? Yeah, I do. I have one brother. So he, older or younger? He's older, a year and a half yeah. older. Yeah. So he's 16, you're 15, mm-hmm. and... All of a sudden, your your dad is is gone. Yeah, he died of cancer, and it was one of those things that I I was very upset for God for a while. I had I hadn't um, been saved, but it was it was hard for a fifteen year old to come with grips, you know, grips with. Well, that. he must have been pretty young to to pass from cancer. Fifty one. Yep. Wow. Yeah, it was. He struggled. It was actually a blessing because when I was um, five years old, six years old, he had cancer. They removed a kidney. He was in remission. And oh. then, um, he got it, uh, came back and he mm-hmm. lost a three-year battle with cancer, but he had prayed that the Lord would allow him to see his kids grow up and the Lord gave him 10 more years. And so it was, sure. it was a blessing, but as a 15 year old, I still couldn't, you know, it was, it was a struggle and the Lord allowed situations in my life. Part of it was visiting my uncle who was a missionary in Africa, um, to help me really understand life. And so I started, you know, I was like, okay, I, I got this Lord. You, you work in my life for a purpose. I went to Northland for missions. Um, but through some circumstances, my being in the military and some challenging things in my life, I kind of got to a point where I was, I was doing my own thing. And I thought, you know, okay, you know, I'm going to not be a bad person, but I'm going to kind of live how, how I want. And I wanted to be a businessman. I wanted to, you know, um, grow and possibly purchase this business. And I worked really hard and it was really successful and everything was going well. And then the Lord was just kind of like things in my life personally weren't working out and future future goals weren't working out. And I was just really frustrated, like, man, God, what are you doing in my life? And I will never forget that night. I was going out to put wood in my wood boiler. I heated uh, with wood and I slipped and fell on the ice flat on my back. I don't know if it was divine intervention or not. It doesn't really matter. Um, the point was, I really was struggling and wrestling with God for a couple of years about what I was doing. And that's when I, I finally realized that I was trying to be a good person. You know, I grew up in a Christian home, went to a Christian college, but I was just trying to be a good person. And um, through the difficulties in my life and God, the Holy Spirit bringing scripture verses from Awana and from college to my mind, I realized that I was living for myself. And I rededicated my life to the Lord January of 2019. And I was like, maybe this business that I've been working for 10 years to try and develop and buy into and just isn't where God wants me. And uh, I felt guilty because twice when I went to move, my wife was like, you know, are we going to take your commentaries and your books from college with us? And I was like, (laughs) I can't throw them away because, you know, Lord, I promised you I'd do this. And then that's when I found the job to come here. All right. So a lot to unpack there. How, how old were you when you fell flat on your back and had the sort of moment of, you know, I don't know, crisis or yeah. decision or whatever you want to call it? I was 32 years old. 32 years old. Yeah. You've already got a family. Yeah. 
you're you're not a bad guy. You're you've had a lot of life lessons and things at that yeah. point. You've you've lived a good life. But it was almost like a a real turning point for you. I've heard you talk about that moment mm-hmm. and you obviously have the date, you know, recalled right from the top of your head. Um isn't it interesting how a moment that was routine, everyday task, you know, all of a sudden becomes that profound in the Lord's hands. Yeah. But uh, I don't, like you said, I don't know what made that so special, but it was obviously a major milestone for you that God sort of had to get your attention. Maybe that's the way to say it. Yeah, it was. It was, It was. you know, some of the sleepless nights struggling with thoughts and things, and it was kind of that jarring moment. You know, you, you'd been working through this. I'd kind of been, there's times I didn't feel like going to church because the messages would be convicting. I was avoiding some of my friends that I knew would speak to me truthfully. And I was, I was trying to avoid the guilt of, you know, I wasn't being a bad person. I was trying to take care of my wife. I was, you know, working hard. I wasn't doing anything really wrong, but... I knew that I wasn't doing what God had intended for me. I wasn't on mission. It was my wake-up call saying, hey, what's going on here? So then that's that's really what the Lord, that's, you know, when I decided what I do needs to be for the Lord, and I need to teach my children that, and I need to tell the other people that I, I interact with. Um, when we have people over to our house, I try and encourage them and say, you know, if you're not doing what the Lord wants you to, you're going to struggle. I struggled, you know? Can I ask you about that a little bit because the description you give of you know avoiding the sermons and and wrestling with conviction and sleepless nights that's the kind of thing we think of as somebody who's struggling from some besetting sin like oh you know this alcoholic or this guy who's you know drug addict or got some some deep iniquity in his life that he's hiding but you're describing that and just in the sense of i knew there was more that God had for me. And although everything I was doing was good, it wasn't, there had to be something else. There had to be something more. What, how did you discover that? Well, I, I don't normally share this. I'll be real with you. I mean, part of it was my military experience. You know, when I was in the military being preparing to go overseas, whether you're in an area that sees a lot of um, action or not, you're you're preparing for this mission and you're trained to go do this and to do it effectively you have to be willing to give up everything else yeah. like you can't go out on a convoy and be prepared to do your job unless you're willing to do it 100% um and you go and you go, you're in the military for a while you you know go on a combat tour you come back regardless if it was a lot of action or not um and i don't know when i got home i just had the sense of man i did this thing you know i I did this. I, I deserve some me time. I need to focus on myself. I need to, you know, I, my wife had, had talked to me about maybe, maybe meeting with somebody and talking about some of my struggles and issues. I mean, the military does a great job of reprogramming your brain. They, when they train you, they train you, trust me. Like, so to, you know, even from my wife saying, man, you're, you're a different man than I married. Like, you know, when we, when I got home and it was, it was a struggle. And so that kind of set off you know, some more thoughts of, man, you know, you know, God, I went and did this, you know, why can't I do this? Or why can't I have this? Or I want a better house, or I want a better job, or I want more money, like the the company was successful, but not successful enough. And so it was really introspection is what was causing the problem. So, um, so maybe we need to back up biographically a little bit, <laughs> because you're referring to a pretty momentous turning or establishing, you know, point in your life. You served in the army. Yes. And your unit was deployed to Iraq. Correct. And you were an infantry officer at yes. that point. 
and you know had command of of troops and and found yourself in the middle of a the sort of the, the beginning of the drawdown mm-hmm. uh, in the Iraq War in '09, your unit deployed, and you know I, I don't know if they ever tried to blow up your bus or if you ever had to you know participate like you said in those kinds of combat operations, but the, the a lot of the guys that come back, whether they saw that or not, dealt with and can probably still deal with the the heightened awareness, the you know all the other factors that go along with not being at home. I mean, when you're in a war zone, you're in a war zone, and mm-hmm. and so I'm sure that's got to be part of it too. And plus the intensity of that versus the the different pace of things at home and the different types of challenges and problems that you have at home. So surely some of that plays into your mindset, you know, when, when you talk about the restlessness of the adjustment and transition yeah. even and returning home. I mean, when you go over, it's, it's a hundred, hundred percent, hundred percent of the time, even when you're not on duty, you're still on duty. And so being trained to do something and feeling like you're doing it well and having a sense of accomplishment, there's something in it. And so when you come home and you have to transition to being at home and going to work and coming home and switching these tasks back and forth and trying to figure out what you're doing, you can kind of feel lost, not effective, you know, purposeless. Yeah. I mean, I I remember there's times I stayed late at work on my own time just trying to get better at my job so I could feel that same type of accomplishment, but I was away from home and, you know, and things like that. So it was it was I even got to the point where, you know, <laughs> regrettably, you know, when I was sitting in church, I was like trying to watch the doors to see where the bad guys were going to come in and what I would do. I mean, sure. I was driving down the highway one time and I saw a billboard and I thought there was a sniper on the billboard, but it was an advertisement for Fiddler on the Roof. And this was this guy up there with yeah. a fiddle and I like pulled off the side of the road. And um, what really, I got to a point where I it was really having a hard time being effective at home and and really coming to grips with living a life that was that was purposeful and meaningful until I realized through this experience that a lot of my problems were that I was I was focused on myself. Oh. And um, I had to get to a point where whether you believe in concealed carry or not, um, <laughs> I had to to not conceal carry. I had to not I had to 100% trust the Lord with my own personal safety. Mm. Um, because I, for so long I had determined in my brain that that was up to me. Like you have to defend yourself. You have to do this. You have to do that. You have to succeed the mission. You have to do this. You have to do this. You have to do this. And so whenever I encountered an obstacle, I tried harder. Whenever I couldn't get away, I tried to try and find another way around. And it wasn't to the point where I finally was like, you know what, Lord? If I go and I'm attacked by a robber, my life is in your hands. If I am at church and somebody comes in, you know, my life is in your Now, obviously, I still had a tactical plan in my mind of what I would do. <laughs> but And the skills to do it. Right. But yeah. it, it, it got to that point where I had been so introspective that the problem with my marriage, you know, my wife and I had to, you know, have some talks with each other because sure. I wasn't the man she married. I had changed. I had to, how do I, how do I fix this? Make I'm sure not the man that my wife married either. And she's not the woman that I married because right. marriage itself changes you. That is <laughs> a very life, true statement. Life changes yes. you no matter where you, whether you're deployed or not. But, yeah. but what happens in a deployment is you're not together during those changes, and you right. you mm-hmm. notice them more drastically. Like when you see your nephew, you know, after the year, and you're like, whoa, you know, you grew six yeah. inches, and he doesn't even think he grew at all, you know. But th- there are those, and I'm sure that 
there's even more profound changes that take place. Well, I have to give a shout out to my wife because she's amazing. I, yes, yeah. I left her when she was pregnant and went to basic training and came back right before she had the baby. And then I left when he was four months old and didn't get home until second birthday. So our whole first child, I was basically gone. And then the next three children, I was national guard doing a full-time job and finishing my degree. And my wife mm -hmm. was home by herself a lot. We, we kind of saw each other in passing for, for a few years. And, um, the graciousness she showed me and the the kindness and the love of Christ was one of the things that helped confront me when I was living for myself. Like when that's one of those factors that the Lord used was her her gracious response and yeah. and helped me realize, man, you're being a little selfish. A here. lot of a lot of marriages don't last during those deployments or following them because I understand of why those same stresses, but but that doesn't have to be the result. Right. And God's goodness is is there and a gracious wife that can handle that. What a what a strong yeah. partner that she she has been to to help establish that. And maybe we should have her on the podcast <laughs> in the next like follow-up yeah. episode to see the other side of the story. Yeah. Uh because she was she was living through a war zone on her own side of yeah, things. Yeah, it is. And that's sometimes, you know, the family members of military um uh, service members, they they mm -hmm. don't get enough credit and they have to do a lot, especially spouses um on on the back end. And then dealing with, you know, the military, it's like, "Oh, you're done. Thanks. That, you know, welcome home. They give you 3 days of counseling and they send you home to your family." Mm -hmm. And then it's your family's problem to deal with you and help help you figure out what's going on and mm -hmm. and that's why like you're saying there's a lot of extra stress um that's a common a common theme i'm just thankful that the lord i have to give him 100 percent credit that he allowed my wife and i to work through that very difficult time you you probably have a lot of insights to be able to relate em empathetically to guys that are you know maybe find themselves in that same situation younger guys mm -hmm. that that are going through that, going down that same road that you had to kind of forge the path on your own and feel your way through. I want to, I want to be clear that everyone's different. You know, I mean, sure. there are some people who have traumatic brain injury, you know, yeah. from IEDs and that, that is a, a medical condition the way your brain doesn't function the same afterwards. Yeah. Um, there's some guys that have, you know, um, have seen and done things that maybe I didn't do that, you know, they have to deal with a different, you know, a different way. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I can't say my, my story is the answer to everyone out there. Cause there, I mean, there's millions of service members that have, you know, have, have gone through a similar thing, but for me, that was how I dealt with it. And now, I mean, there's still times where, <laughs> I mean, you can ask some of the guys we work with. There's a couple guys who've uh, been in the military here on campus and, and we'll joke about things that, you know, that, once you've been in the military, you just view the world differently and it doesn't change. Um, but for the most part, you know, a lot of the things the the Lord has allowed um, to be impactful in my life, to relate to people. For me to, we were just joking the other day, sorry to bring it back to facilities, but, you know, we're there in a, uh, a dorm room at 11 o'clock at night that's flooded and then we're extracting the carpet and it's late and we already had a long day. And then I looked at the guy next to me who was also in the army and he said, well, we've had worse. And he shook his head and said, yep, we just keep extracting. <laughs> I mean, it, the, the benefits are, I mean, it's, it's something that, uh, the Lord has allowed those experiences, even though it was difficult and it was hard and I made mistakes and I had, I had consequences of those mistakes I made. I had bad habits that I had to get rid of, you know, but 
the the Lord is able to work in our lives in spite of our mistakes. And that's the biggest thing I try and share when I share this testimony, because it's embarrassing to tell people I messed up. I went to Bible college and then I, I kind of did my own thing and I was not a good example as I should have been. And I may have struggled with some, you know, some personal issues. Um, but man, God is amazing. Yeah. And um, when I actually interviewed to come here to Maranatha, I didn't feel like God could use me. Because there are some things I struggled with, you know, in the military, some bad habits I picked up. And, you know, I was like, that's it. God can't use me. And the devil had this in my brain that is like, yeah. you can't be used. And I met with my pastor, David Harper. That is not from God. That is a thought that comes from <laughs> yeah. the other side of that ledger. And I met with Pastor Harper at Walker Bible Baptist. Hmm. And, um, and he said, you know, Jared, God forgives. God forgives unconditionally. Hmm. You know, look at the Old Testament and the example that he gave of people who failed, but love God. And that's the important thing. And so that really helped me to say, you know what, Lord, I want to serve you. I want to be effective. Um, and that's a choice that I have to make. And and you can, you can forgive and overcome. Yeah. And you look back and you see that God actually used those things to prepare you for some something that you didn't really know was even on the horizon. And I think about all the millions of dollars that the United States government <laughs> poured into training you yeah. to be the leader that you are today, and we're getting the benefit from yeah. that. And yeah. I've actually seen that so many times, uh, and not just the conversations that we have on a, a regular basis on a work side of things, but just to see you working with your team. And I think, well... That was probably the U.S. Army that taught him how to do that. I mean, you command troops in <laughs> combat, and now you can, we're combating a little different kind of an enemy now. But yeah. uh, that's that's actually part of what God was doing that you can recognize now, looking backwards. Yeah, and that that is it's a lot of it is you know for a while I felt like man my life it's I'm I'm running in a circle I'm wandering in the desert that's kind of what I've described it as um, what what's going on but then I now where I'm at so of the last three years I've looked back and I've seen the Lord has used my experience in food service my experience in the military my experience on well drilling my experience working selling vehicle parts to be able to help me in my job now to take care of vehicles to take care of kitchen equipment. To take care of um, grounds, to take care of, uh, you know, custodial, all these things. Um, the Lord trees. has Cutting down trees. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Lord has put all of these things uh, together in my life. And it's, it's reassuring when you get to that point where you can see uh, God working in your life. Yeah. So you, you had this kind of moment, 2019. Uh, what did you end up doing about it? I mean, it's one thing for us to have like a late night you know, thought uh, that we think is fairly profound, but then you, you kind of have to make a decision and actually act on it. Is that the time frame that the Lord started opening doors for you to come here? Yeah, it was. It was very scary to say, Lord, I'll do whatever you want. And I told my wife and she looked at me and was just like, what does that mean? You know, I mean, like we had this whole life planned. We had, you know, where our kids or her friends, where they were going to go to, you know, high school, college. We had all of our life planned out. And then I just said, Lord, I'll do whatever you want. And it was it was extremely scary. We met with my pastor and we talked about it. And ironically, it was my wife who helped us on the next step. She uh, remembered that her brother had come to Maranatha and they were uh, on the way home from a, a family event. And out of the blue, she just got on Maranatha's website to see if there was a job opening. And she saw the one for a maintenance guy. My husband could do that. And we touched, she asked me, I was like, no, I don't want to go do that. Like I'm done with college and I'm not going to do that. And 
But through talking with her, talking with my pastor, praying about it, uh, we had a little farm. We sold the farm and we moved up here, and it's been it's been really neat. And ironically, I said I'd no, never go back to college. I'm working on my master's degree in leadership, and it's been that's been a blessing too. So. Yeah, so let's talk about that a little bit. You're in the Master of Organizational Leadership program here at Maranatha. You got into it. Are you the oldest guy in the program? <laughs> I don't know. The few classes I've been in, I was, yes, the, probably the oldest I, I guy. I actually doubt you are even <laughs> close to being <laughs> yeah, the oldest no. guy in the program. You're probably at more of a typical age okay. uh, for that for that particular program. We certainly have some college-age students that just continue on through. And in fact, you can actually get the MOL as a dual degree as an undergrad at Maranatha and finish in four years. So it's pretty awesome. But, well, I guess it's four plus the summer. You have to do your project <laughs> yeah. in the summer. So you're you're about a class and a half away or something close to yep. finishing that. So give a give a little promo, I guess. Or, you know, if you hate the program, I guess you could say that, although I know you don't. <laughs> no, it, it's been a really enjoyable experience. You know, when you're in college the first time around as an 18, 20-year-old, everything's new and you're trying to figure stuff out yeah. and, and you don't know what you don't know. Sure. But uh, no context. Yeah. It's been interesting going back and doing a degree in leadership because I, you know, a supervisor in a kitchen, my military experience. Um, I have a lot of different, uh, the superintendent at the well drilling company. I had a lot of experience and I was trying things out and trying to figure it out. I was able to, to, to really understand what I was doing and what was working, Reasoned, yeah. you know, because when I became a military officer, I was like, man, I've had some bad officers. I can do a better job than that. I'm going to take care of my troops and I'm going to do the right thing. And I was successful and I made all my promotions early. And, you know, there was a couple of times I had, I was kind of under the gun, but then somebody stepped up and said, Hey, he's the only one doing the right thing. You know, <laughs> why, oh. why are you getting mad at him? And so I, I learned that if I do the right thing and I take care of my people, then that's that's what my job is. So then it was kind of interesting once I got into the MOL program and, and study this servant leadership that's out in the uh, leadership world that, you know, they're trying to, man, how can we get a good leadership? And, and the secular world's trying to put together a formula for getting the perfect leader. And part of it is the servant leadership. Well, I saw that in taking care of my troops. I see that in Christ. You know, when you go back to the Bible, in the Bible, Christ is the the perfect leader. Mm -hmm. And so in my class, there was a couple of discussion boards where I explored that and, and, and looked through it. And then you realize that the reason some of these secular companies that are trying to emulate it and they can't because it's not organic. Number one, they're trying to be a good leader instead of trying to do the right thing and it making them a good uh -huh. leader. And so, you know. Yeah, there are some there are some that have done that, but I think that's because we have a little bit of God's image in us, and you know, with our Judeo Christian oh, yeah. values, there's like a, there's a natural law principle at work right. where they're discovering truth through scientific principles, even right. in the business world, and they're analyzing what works, and it works because God designed the world that way, <laughs> and he 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 created us as human beings, and we respond to certain motivations, and we respond to emotions and and uh, conditions. So those things can be discovered, but if the motivation behind servant leadership isn't love, love for God, reflect God's love reflected through us, then it just becomes very manipulative. Yeah. And I've read all the books out there about the secular, from the secular yeah. standpoint on servant leadership and seeing it in action in the secular side, it just kind of turns into how do I need to act in order to get people to mm -hmm. do what I want them to do? And that's just a manipulation. If they're, like you said, I think organic, and I think maybe you can explain that a little bit more what you mean by organic, but I, I think what you mean is that the motivations come 
from wanting to truly serve, mm -hmm. not from a particular result you're trying to get from the service. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like for me, I, I can think of one example where we we're out on the range and, you know, our guys were trying to, to pick up ammo in the long grass and it was a long weekend and it was wet, wet what, and What do you raining. mean out on the range? So we, like in the, in the middle, range? yeah, so we were preparing, it was a training. We were at a, a Camp Atterbury in Indiana and we had been out doing what's called a live fire where you're out and shooting and moving. So you're walking through the grass and, and shooting at live targets with live rounds. And so it takes a And by walk, live targets, you don't mean oh, live Oh, yeah, people. sorry. <laughs> I mean targets that are popping up and going down. Okay, yes. they're, they're, they are targets that are moving. It's not a stationary target. Everybody yeah, down. sorry. Um, <laughs> we're, we're shooting at, at targets on this live fire. And so you're, you're walking through grass and through the woods and you're shooting from different positions and moving. So instead of if you go to the range, uh, you know, and you, you sit in a stall and you have a target that goes down and you're firing when you're done, you pick up all your, you know, your, your ammo on a gun range. Yeah. But if you can imagine you have almost a half a click, uh, half a kilometer that you have to, to, to move and fire at various targets along the way, you're spreading your brass out everywhere and log yeah. grass, tall grass. And, you know, um, at the end, you have to turn it all in. Oh, my goodness. So we have everybody out there in the rain, in the dark, with headlamps, picking through the grass, trying to pick it up. And at a certain point, you know, my guys were tired. They were cold. They were going to get sick. When we got home, we had to get on the bus, drive back to Gary, Indiana. They had to get in their cars and then drive home. So this was like one of your weekend things. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. And so it was going to be dangerous for them to keep doing this because then how are they going to stay awake and get home? So I, I, you know, said to the leadership, I was like, you know, I think we've gotten to the point where we can get a memo signed by the, the, um, the higher up saying you've got 90%. This is acceptable loss. Nobody took this ammo home. This is, it's just out there. We can't get to it. And, um, and I got a lot of flack for it, but, you know, I told my guys get on the bus, you know, there's nothing more we can do. Um, and I tried to do the right thing, not to progress my career, but I really cared for my guys. And later it was another uh, officer that came back and was told the, the battalion commander, hey, you should really sign off on that because he was actually the only one stayed with his guys and did it. And they were oh. trying to do the right thing. And yeah, we can just have this signed off and it can be fine. Plus, they're the farthest drive home to get home to get their guys home. So it was it was one of those things that, you know, I saw a lot of other times in the military where the guys were trying to take care of their soldiers so they'd get good reviews and and get uh, and be advance their career. But I wasn't planning on being in long term. I didn't care about my career. I honestly cared about doing the right thing for my guys. And so that's that's the type of thing that I'm talking about is when you're that's organic. Yeah. Well, sometimes there is a tension between following the processes and established rules and policy versus the right thing to do, yeah. which you know, normally we think follow the rules is the right thing to do, but but uh, you have to exercise some critical thinking in mm -hmm. life, and critical thinking is a structured way of balancing priorities. And servant leadership <laughs> says the priority is the people. Right. And I, I've seen that over and over in what you've written, uh, what how you've operated. Is that listen? We've got to prioritize the people. Uh, I appreciate so much your motivations as a facilities manager. Mm -hmm. We we talk about things within the facilities world, but it always comes back to the students and the staff and the people that we're caring mm -hmm. for. And the buildings are here to accomplish the mission in the lives of the people. Yeah. And that's always what it really comes back to, right? Yeah, it is. And, you know, that's one of those things where, I mean, we're all human, right? Like, 
but bad management usually comes down to selfishness. So even good manager, I mean, there's days I, I'm like, man, I don't want to deal with this. You know, I mean, but it's that love for the people where you decide, you make the choice to say, no, I'm going to deal with this. This is hard. I have to have a hard conversation. I have to have a make a difficult decision. And and you you choose to do it because you care. And if you don't do it, it's going to cause, you know, more difficulty. And that's one of those things that um, – you know, I mean, there's, there's no, that's why there's no silver bullet with leadership, because even if you yeah. have good leadership qualities, you have the, the natural talent, you have the training, you have the opportunity, we're still humans. And mm-hmm. so we still have days, good days and bad days. We still have days where we want to do the right thing and not. And that's why, you know, in, in the MOL class, I mean, the, the leadership, you know, going back and looking at Christ centered leadership is that's why it's so important because he has to be the one to keep bringing us back to that, that right point of Okay, I'm doing this because this is how he did it, and otherwise, I mean, <laughs> there's no we could no way we can do it on our own. I mean, you guys at this table know. I mean, being leaders, there there's some days where you just don't want to come in and do it. You know why? Why do you? And it's it's because you care about the people that you're leading, and you want to do a good job for the Lord. Well, you're alluding to it, but I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot a little bit. <laughs> But you know the mission of Maranatha is to develop leaders for the local church mm-hmm. in the world to the praise of his glory. You are the you oversee the facilities management division of of the organization, which has a bunch of employees and a variety of different applications, everything from grounds, vehicles, plant uh, management, you have uh, capital improvement projects, custodial, all those things come under your command, if mm-hmm. we're gonna look at the structure <laughs> that way, right? Yeah. Responsibility. Uh how how does that division plug into or help us to accomplish the institutional mission? Can you articulate that? Yeah. Um, you know, it's some days it can be, it can feel like a stretch <laughs> because it feels like all we're doing is, you know, fixing leaking toilets and, and you know, uh, cutting grass and, and and things like that that in themselves don't feel like we are contributing the mission. Um, but when you come down to it, um, I've done, I've done school in person. I've done school online. I've done military training. I've had a lot of different training scenarios and my time on campus in a Christian college was so valuable and, and important to me in establishing relationships and personal discipline and, and, um, being a part of, a group of people who care about serving the Lord that I truly believe. And we have to have a place where students can come and get a good Christ-centered education, challenge one another and be challenged by people who love the Lord. So having dorms that are comfortable for students to enjoy their time, having classrooms where learning can take place, having offices where stuff can be, you know, um, classes can be prepared is important because without that, then you don't have that opportunity. Now I've done my portion online. I finished my degree online. So, you know, I understand. And that was a period of my time I had to, I was national guard. I was full-time job. I had kids and I finished Mm -hmm. my degree online. It was necessary. But for those of people of, for those of us who've been truly impacted by your college experience, that those days stick with you the rest of your life. Mm. It was from that environment that you were at. And if yeah. it's not comfortable, you're not going to enjoy it. And so that's where all of our guys, I can, I mean, I got to tell you, each one of our guys have on their own been like, Hey, what about if we do this? It'll make this better. Or, Hey, what about if we do this? It will help the students be more comfortable. Um, You know, they've, they've really seen that too. And they are, they are here for that purpose Um, that if we don't, Play, help make a facility or a place that encourages those opportunities to take place, 
then it's not going to exist. You know, even if we're not the ones making those opportunities, we're, we're creating a place where it can happen. Well, you also have direct interaction with a bunch of students. Mm -hmm. So how does that also help you relate to the <laughs> institutional mission? Yeah, we have, a, we have a lot of good opportunities with students. We have students that work with maintenance and custodial and capital improvements and grounds. And, you know, one of the things about becoming a servant leader or a, a leader, that, a Christ-centered leader, is you realize it's about the people. And so that's something we've talked about as supervisors is, you know, hey, when you have your students, take some time and talk to them. See what's going on in their life. You know, see, see what they're struggling with. Challenge them. You know, I mean, there's times that we have to push them hard. Hey, we got to get this done. We need yeah. you to, you know, I know that you have homework. You need to be able to make sure you tell us if you have a test, you know, we need you to be here. We, we do. We try and push them to, to do what they're supposed to do, but we also try and encourage them. And I think it's been really neat. A lot of our guys have gotten to have some really good relationships with some of those students to encourage them, but also help encourage them to work hard. Um, that's one which of those is, things. Which is in short supply mm -hmm. in society right mm -hmm. now. Yeah. People who actually want to work hard and understand the value of diligence and consistency and quality in the right. work product that they put out. And you're... Your staff, which includes those students that work with you, consistently get the job done. And they have in you all examples of people who are dedicated to accomplishing the mission in its own smaller view of that department or that task and in the larger view of the institution itself. As you said, some days that takes a different you know, mode than others, yep. and there's only so many days a year that you can wear those cool pants and run a chainsaw, which I know is your, your favorite day of the week. I, I, I've never I seen him that. with a bigger smile yes. on his face oh, yeah. than when he's out there with the chaps on and getting in a bucket truck and cutting down some trees. <laughs> so that's my, that's my are, stress relief. We yeah. are running out of trees. So if you could slow down just a little bit on that, and you know there's the one tree that I will not let yeah. you touch. Uh, uh, that's true. Right in front of Old Main. Uh, that one's been there. It's been all in, the, in all the pictures. Yeah. Yeah. We but, have pictures of it in 1919, <laughs> I think. So. so we don't know how long it's been there, but it's a long time. <laughs> so that's what makes me nervous because trees only live so long. Yeah. 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 I appreciate so much the example that you have uh, – lived for the students. And there's so many other life experiences that we could delve into uh, if time would allow. And maybe we'll be able to come back and, and sit down again in a future season and, and get part two, get your <laughs> wife in here and hear the other side of the story. I want to hear about the, you know, someday I want to hear about the trip to Africa. Oh, man. And, uh, you know, you didn't come home with any weird exotic diseases or yes, anything, did I you? Didn't. You did? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, oops. <laughs> Whoa, spill the tea. <laughs> yeah. Not right now. All right. Later. Teaser for next time. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. My, just real quick, you know, my <laughs> uncle was a, an amazing man. He was a Wycliffe Bible translator, 35 years serving yeah. the Lord. It was um, just, it was actually impactful for me coming here. That was one of the decisions that helped me commit to serving the Lord with my, my life was watching his, his ministry and his attitude and his desire um, to please the Lord. And he did it such amazing way. Well, we, we really appreciate, I know from a staff perspective, all that your team does to keep the other staff offices functional. <laughs> you know, students are the most important thing on campus, but we got to do our jobs too. And even in the room that we're in now, your staff was instrumental in uh, putting this stuff together. Thank you. And thank you for taking your time out. I'm sure you got 14 work orders that came in in the meantime, but <laughs> this has been a valuable, valuable conversation. I know it'd be a great encouragement to everybody that hears it. Thank, thank you for you. having me. 
Thank you for joining us today. On Mission is a production of Maranatha Baptist University. Subscribe to On Mission on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to leave a review as this will help other growing leaders find these conversations. For information about our guests, previous episodes, and general information about On Mission or MBU, go to mbu.edu slash podcast. Join us again next week as we examine what keeps leaders on mission.